This week, we explore that great story where Jesus is at a wedding and he turns water into wine. I mean, how cool is that? But what does the story really mean? And is the story about wine at all? Join with me as we discuss Altar Call. Hi, Paul Shepard here, and welcome to the channel. You know, some people think that having faith means believing a bunch of things that you know are impossible. But here at Rational Christianity, we take a rational approach to understanding the Christian faith. We combine history, science, the Bible, and an understanding of human nature to make Christianity make sense. Everyone is welcome here. This is a Sunday I think we always get wrong in the church. I'm serious, actually. I mean, think of all the celebrations we have during the church year. Last week, we celebrated the baptism of Jesus. We regularly celebrate healing stories, and we try to locate ourselves within those stories. We spend weeks celebrating the birth of Jesus. We like to celebrate and sometimes even reenact some biblical narratives. And this week, we have the story of Jesus turning water into wine. Well, why don't we celebrate that in the church? I mean, imagine if we had told people that this was turning water into wine Sunday. You know, everyone who comes in brings a liter of water, and they leave with one liter of wine. Even with COVID, that would be a very popular event, I think. The story of Jesus turning water into wine is only found in the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the whole story. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. And Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. But his mother went ahead anyway, and telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Now six stoneware water pots were there, used by the people for ritual washings. Each one held twenty to thirty gallons. And Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host. Jesus said, and they did. When the host tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what had happened, but the servants of course knew. He called out to the bridegroom, Everyone I know begins with their finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, they bring in the cheap stuff. But you have saved the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So this is the classic story where Jesus finds himself at a wedding, and he finds himself completely surrounded by no wine. So he just makes some. I mean, it's a great story. In the story, the transformation is referred to as a sign that Jesus was the Son of God. We ourselves might think of it more as a miracle, but whatever we call it, it is a memorable story. In spite of the popularity of the story, I'm tempted to keep the conversation about this at a highly abstract, theological, theoretical level, because I'm not sure I want to engage with a story where Jesus talks back to his mother and encourages the overconsumption of alcohol. John may have had some lofty theological objectives in writing the text, but in the end, we are left with the story, as one of my seminary professors called it, of Jesus, the party animal. 
and yet I cannot leave the story at an abstract level. For one thing, the historicity of the story is unclear. That is, of course, a politically correct way of saying that many scholars do not believe the story happened at all. The fact that the story only appears in the Gospel of John and in none of the other Gospels should at least give us pause for thought. Because it raises the question, what was John trying to accomplish with this story that the other Gospel writers did not care about? What indeed? And it's just a little bit hard to figure out. I mean, on the one hand, it's just another story of Jesus performing a miracle. Isn't that the kind of thing we expect to read in the Gospels? But I'm not so sure. I mean, most of the miracles that Jesus was said to have performed involved healing people. And healing is an action that has long-term benefits for the sick person. And the people that Jesus healed usually had already made huge efforts to find healing using more traditional methods. In those healing stories, Jesus is like the last resort. But in this story of Jesus turning water into wine, well, I mean, the miracle seems quite frivolous, really. Jesus does his magic trick before anyone even asks a host if he has more wine stashed away. This is not the last resort at all. The text does not even say, quick, more wine, before the happy couple sober up and change their minds. There seems to be no crisis in this story, no problem that really needs solving. And beyond that, the story is, to say the least, not very United Churchy. Here in the United Church of Canada, we do not even use wine for communion. And here is Jesus, giving out free wine by the gallon. Since the host ran out of wine, we have to imagine that everyone at the party was already soused. Why give them even more wine? The guests probably needed water to combat dehydration more than they needed wine at that moment. If Jesus was just a bit more health conscious, he should have encouraged the guests to drink the water as water and take it easy on the booze. And if we read this story literally, well, maybe that's about as far as we can go with it. But there are other ways to read the story. Perhaps the story is not about wine at all. Perhaps the wine is simply a vehicle to deeper meaning. Or as the Romans said, in vino veritas. What does this story mean, actually? For me, the most interesting feature of this story is that Jesus did not just turn water into wine. He transformed water intended for use in hand-washing into wine. Jesus did not create wine out of thin air. In the story, Jesus repurposed water that was intended to service a traditional ritual of hand-washing. In Jesus' day, of course, hand-washing was not done for sanitary reasons. The ritual was followed simply as one of many cultural traditions the tradition dictated must be followed. So, one way to read the story is to recognize that ritual hand-washing was a tradition. And traditions are things we do today because we did them yesterday. Following a tradition today is, at some level, about preserving our past. Whereas, providing adequate refreshments at a wedding party is about the present. It's about making new friends. It's about hanging out. It's about building new relationships. It's about living today. There was a shortage of resources, and Jesus decided that serving wine was more important than hand-washing. Jesus decided that relationships were more important than tradition. If we read the story that way, then we can see the story as a battle between the past and the present. A battle between following the rules 
or creating new relationships. And Jesus responds decisively. When the wine runs out, he doesn't ask the host if they have more wine hidden away. He doesn't ask someone to run off to an off-sale. Jesus, apparently without hesitation, except for dealing with his mother, chooses to honor the present relationships over the past with its rules and traditions. Can we imagine that sort of party here in this congregation? Can we imagine having to make a choice and giving more value to building new relationships and building community than holding on to some of the traditions from our past? What traditions are we willing to look beyond right here? And what vision of new relationships can we imagine right here? And are we willing to give up some of our traditions in order to create new relationships? If you're wondering what I'm talking about, let me give you a hypothetical example. We always say that we wish more young people came to church here. Now, how would you respond if I told you, and don't worry, I'm making this up, but how would you respond if I told you we would have more people come to worship here at Sydenham Heritage United Church if we held worship on a Tuesday evening? Would we be willing to move our services to Tuesdays in order to create those new relationships with young people? Or would we stick to our own traditions and tell those people to go find their own church? And you can all relax, because that's not where I'm going with this sermon anyway. The more probable truth is that in the story in John is more like a battle between two traditions. One tradition was hand-washing. The other tradition was that the host was supposed to have enough refreshments. Having adequate refreshments was also a tradition. So I don't believe the story is really a contrast between honoring our past and creating our present. I think it's something that's even harder to talk about. I think it's about doing what is most important and allowing other things to take a back seat. I'm reminded of a true story. The Washington Post is a very old company that has produced newspapers since 1877. But as we're all aware, over the last decade or so, newspaper sales have dropped dramatically. Many people now get their news on the radio or TV or online, on their phones and tablets. For example, my wife and I share news stories over breakfast on our iPads. She gets stories from the CBC and the BBC, and I get my stories from Russia Today, CBC, and Al Jazeera. I don't even remember the last time I saw a newspaper in my home. Anyway, with the decline in newspaper sales, the executives at the Post were naturally concerned. Some of the executives thought this was a crisis. They thought it was the end of the company. They decided to make strategic decisions to close the company in the most profitable way. Profitable for themselves, of course. Other executives really could not see what the fuss was about. They saw a problem to manage, but no crisis. And you know what made the difference? What was it that made some executives fearful while other executives got creative? What made the difference was the type of business the executives thought that they were in. Because the executives did not actually agree on what the core business of the Washington Post was. Some of the executives thought that the Washington Post was a newspaper company. I mean, they did make and sell newspapers after all. So of course it's a crisis if newspaper sales drop. But other executives had never thought that the Post was a newspaper company. In their minds, the Post was a media company. They collected, edited, assembled, and distributed news stories to people. And for those executives, there was no crisis. Yes, newspaper sales were down, 
But that only meant they had to get creative and find other ways to get the stories out. They needed to change, yes, but there was no crisis. Because their core business, creating and sharing news stories, could continue. They could keep their core business as long as they were willing to change how the news stories were distributed. And this is a lot like what's happening in mainland churches across North America. Even before COVID, across the board, Sunday attendance is dropping. Is this a crisis? Is this a crisis here at Sydenham Heritage United Church? Well, if you think our core business is filling pews, then yeah, you must think we have a crisis. But is filling pews our core business? What if our core business is something else? Perhaps we, like the Washington Post, can change how we do things in order to preserve the reason this congregation exists in the first place. We have to change, yes, but we do not have to close down unless we choose to. And now I've used the C word, change. What do we think of the word change anyway? When you hear the word change, do you think, not again? Or when you hear the word change, do you think, it's about time? When you saw that the title for this episode was Alter Call, spelled A-L-T-E-R, I'm sure some people thought this was a typo, that I must have meant Altar Call, A-L-T-A-R. Perhaps some people hoped I would call people to the altar to rededicate themselves. But by now, I'm sure we all realize the title was not a typo. This is an altar call, a call to change, a call to grow into who we are supposed to be. Remember that God loves us just as we are, but God also loves us too much to leave us just as we are. Jesus transformed water from what it was into what it needed to be, and the Spirit can help transform us from who we are into who we need to be. We need to work on it too, of course. And, you know, this does not mean throwing away our past. The key is to figure out the essential ingredients of this congregation so we do not lose those, while other elements, incidental elements, can change. And so I invite each of us to consider, what are the essential elements of this community of faith? What traditions and relationships do we need to maintain in order to keep being who we actually are? And what traditions and relationships can we let go of? What traditions and relationships will we transform in order to bring new life to them? So now, obviously, I want to hear your opinions, but actually, if you're local, I already have. Do you remember in the fall, I put a flip chart in the church near the parking lot door, and I invited people to say what they cared about in this community? And I didn't say this at the time, but specifically, I was trying to tease out some of the essential ingredients here. If you don't remember this project, let's let me give you the brief background, which is that last summer, there were lawn signs all over town there were variations on this, but a lot of signs that said, hate has no home here. We had one at the church too. And you know, it's a great message. I love it. The thing is, hate has no home here says who we are not, which is part of the equation. But the other part is, okay, so who are we? And this flip chart was an opportunity for people to express who we are at Sydney Heritage United Church, or maybe who we want to be. And obviously some people spoke to me in person, too. One thing that people named was love. I mean, if hate does not live here, love lives here. Well, you know, that's a great start, but I was hoping for things that were a little more specific. And, 
you did not disappoint. Some people offered much more specific words, including kindness, compassion, equity, respect, acceptance, justice, understanding. And thankfully, some people were brave enough to name concerns they see within this congregation, including lack of respect for differing opinions, too much judgment, a feeling that some people have that they are not free to be themselves here. A common thread I see running through all these ideas is relationship. We want to be a place where people are free to bring their whole selves here and to be in relationship with others, whether those other people are similar to us or not. We want to share lives with each other. What is it that makes us Sydenham Heritage United Church? What are the essential ingredients that make us who we are? What is it that we need to change so that we can continue to be Sidham Heritage United Church in ways that work better today? Who do we want to be? Jesus transformed water from what it was into what it needed to be. And the Spirit can help us transform ourselves from who we are into who we need to be as well. Working together, we can transform ourselves from who we are into who we need to be. And that's way more impressive than turning water into wine. Let us celebrate the gift of each other in this congregation, and let's see what we can create right here in our midst. Amen. Hi again, and thanks for joining in today. I'm Rev. Dr. Paul Shepard, a minister with the United Church of Canada, currently serving at Sydney Heritage United Church in Brantford, Ontario. I'm also an environmental scientist with a PhD in physics. I am passionate about making Christianity make sense. Please subscribe to the channel and feel free to visit the church, either in person or online. You might also enjoy my book, Evolving Christianity, which is about taking a scientific, rational approach to Christianity in order to fight racism and other social diseases. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.